Hello and welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller authors in conversation about female characters who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Wendy Hurd and I'm here to interview Mindy Mejia today. Mindy, welcome. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. We've been very excited. I have been through the moon excited ever since reading your recent release, Strike Me Down. Um, It was like immediate, like, this is perfect. We have to talk about this book. (laughs) I write a lot of unlikable female characters. (laughs) And I'm so here for it. So Mindy, first, let's uh, introduce you to people. So Mindy, you are uh, the author of, I think, four, five books at this point. Strike Me Down is my fourth. That's right. So your book before that was Leave No Trace, Mm -hmm. which was amazing. And you are with Emily Bessler Books for Strike Me Down, which just came out on April 7th. Yes, correct. Congratulations. Thank you. It's It's been really fun launching a book in a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, How was your launch? It was, How was your launch party? <laughs> I did a virtual launch. Uh, so oh. I, I did a launch on Crowdcast, and I wore my pajamas and drank the whole time. So it was... <laughs> Kind of the best launch ever. I, I want to see like an author get a whole book cake and just sit down with that <laughs> and like shots and just eat it like with their hands. And like not talking to anyone. <laughs> that That's perfect actually. That's my next book. That's book five. <laughs> so like, okay, tell us a little bit. First of all, you're. I want to just emphasize because it's going to come into relevance in a second, but you're a CPA, right? Like you're an accountant. I am. Yes. I worked for 16 years in corporate accounting, uh, writing on my lunch breaks and uh, until I left the corporate world to finish Leave No Trace and, and write full time. So I've, I've done a little bit of accounting work here and there since, but have been primarily writing uh, for the last several years. That's so cool because, okay, so tell us about Strike Me Down. Tell us what it's about. Yes, Strike Me Down is is about uh, the protagonist, Nora Trier, is a forensic accountant, and so she chases money launderers and uh, tries to um, capture like fraud, and, and investigates that and prosecutes the criminals, helps prosecute the financial criminals. And so she is an investigator and the investigator of the accounting world. And so she is hired. She's a partner in her forensic accounting firm in the Twin Cities, which is where I am based. And she's hired by a company called Strike that is owned by a married couple, this legendary kickboxer named Logan Rousseau, and her marketing genius husband, Greg Abbott. Um, they have built this company that is this anti-corporate feminist athletic empire, and they're having a kickboxing tournament with $20 million in prize money. Well, a week before the tournament starts, the prize money goes missing. And so they hire Nora to track down this missing prize. But of course, as she gets closer and closer to the truth, um, it's, we have to wonder who's going to make it out alive. <laughs> this, the stakes, of course, rise. So I love this book so much. And if you know me, like I have a degree in painting, I am not your forensic accounting type of gal. Like, I don't know a damn thing about it. This book hooked me so hard and it was so interesting. I thought Okay, so obviously Logan is this kickboxing guru kind of lady. She's very hard ass, right? Like Mm -hmm. she's just like, take no shit, give shit, 
she's just like extremely driven and uh, sort of legendary and like obviously so hot hello yeah. and then <laughs> and then there's Nora the main character and this is why I wanted to talk to you on this uh, this month we're doing the ar- the archetype of the bad mother and Nora is a mom mm. and the thing I find really interesting about that in her character is first of all I would say it's a rather small part of her characterization in this like it's a minute before you even really understand that she's a mom you know what I mean like it's like you kind of get through a lot of other pieces of the things in her life before seeing the piece or the role that motherhood plays and so talk about her as a mom like tell me a little bit about your about your process there like what what you think about that yes yeah I mean if you if you had if you asked Nora you know give me 10 words to describe yourself mother wouldn't be in those 10 words you know she it wouldn't even occur to her really to identify as that um, originally when I thought of this, this character, when I was coming up with Nora, I really wanted to do this kind of flipped script on like the classic binary roles, you know, where Nora was the breadwinner and she was very career driven and that was who she was, you know, cause when you, when you see like the thousands of male protagonists that we've read about or watched on screen, you don't question their home life. You know, you don't ask, is he a good dad? when he's kicking ass in a courtroom or throwing himself on a bomb, you know, it's, it's not in your mind. Um, and I wanted, I kind of wanted Nora to be that initially, but, um, that just to have this home life that was completely functional and happy in the background. Um, but the farther I got into the book, the more I realized that's not my genre. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do happiness, you know? (laughs) So I had to dig into really why, Nora was so disengaged and kind of pull her in into this um, this place of questioning, you know, why is she this kind of neglectful mother who doesn't even really see herself in that role? And it, it does go back, I mean, it goes back to what kind of happened to her with her own parents. They um, really emotionally abandoned her and, and it, because of this uh, situation where she um, was, she was a whistleblower and ended up um, a ruining her father's best friend's company through, I mean, doing the right thing. By doing the right thing, she ruined his company because he was doing some shady things. And uh, so this, the result of that, of being abandoned by her own parents, is that she decides, I'm not going to do that to my son. You know, I'm going to pull away um, and emotionally distance myself so that he doesn't need me. And when I'm gone, when I'm not here anymore, it won't even matter. And uh, so that he is completely self-sufficient from a very early age. And she does that very successfully, but um, that's not really how society views good mothers. You know, we're, we're not, we're supposed to always be there. We're supposed to be the ultimate prop for our families. And uh, so it's, that's, it's not a really successful strategy and it's, it's not, um, not something that, that uh, is going to lead her into a happy place. So she is married, but her marriage is also really nonconformist. I and mean, she has an open marriage. She does. Yeah, she has an open marriage. And um, it's also, it's the kind of thing where, again, I'm, originally I was like, I really want to write this open like marriage that's really functional and it works. Um, but again, not my genre. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I, I had to kind of understand what was not working in the open marriage? You know, why, why was it um, 
a bad thing. And again, it was something that Nora introduced the concept in order to distance herself from her husband, from her family, to really remain independent, disconnected, and protect herself emotionally um, from getting hurt. Uh, and so the open marriage doesn't work in the beginning. Um, and by the end of the book, I mean, she's worked herself into a different place, um, a healthier place, um, but also still in an open marriage. I, I didn't want the open marriage aspect to be the problem. I wanted there, there was other symptoms um, in her character that were the problem. And, and obviously, you know, working through those flaws in the end, to, towards the end of the book, um, she's able to get to a place where she understands what she wants, how she can be close to people, but still have this unconventional home life. Right. I think that was something I really liked about the story was that she's in this open marriage. She's in a situation where she is not the main point of contact for her kid. But those things are not the problem. The problem is something that is sort of manifested through those things related. I thought you did a great job with the complexity there. Like it, it was a, a really tough dynamic, I think, for you to unpack. <clears throat> and I think you did a great job with it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't I didn't want the fact that she didn't have a conventional, you know, kind of stereotypical life to be the problem. You know, that that clearly was not her issue. So in general. Is there, because uh, you're a mom. I am, yes, as are you. Yes, and it's funny because on this podcast, I'm the only one who has kids. And <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they'll look at me like, what's that like? I'm like, I know. I know. <laughs> it's, it's always interesting, yeah. I, uh, most of my friends are child-free as well. And, and they there's just a little bit of a disconnect, you know, because... Well, it's like kind of a life hack, not having had kids. Like, if you're going to be honest about it, I mean, I I think it's silly to not say that, you know, if you chose not to have children, you have a lot more time to pursue the things that are important to you. And it's a weird thing that women are pressured to do it when, you know, I don't understand why it's something that people are encouraged or pressured to do when it it's really only something I think you should do if you really, really want it, you know? I agree. I mean, yeah, it's evolutionarily speaking. I mean, it's, it's our primary biological role, right? Like the, this is why, why we're here is to, to keep the species going. But right. when you have like close to 8 billion of us we've on the planet, job, we're yeah, we, we've succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can put the brakes on that particular <laughs> job. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree. Great life hack. Don't have kids if you don't want them. Like I know um, what we talked about last time on the podcast was, you know, Lane's very like, very self-driven decision young to not have children and she'll talk about that quite a bit and i just think that's really cool like i definitely went have felt pressure in phases of my life to have children and it's i don't know about you but like i only have one i know you have two but after my first one i think i felt more pressure to have another one mm. than i ever have in my entire life yes yes exactly and i don't think it's the same. I don't know if it's the same way for men. I, but yeah, there's the pressure. Like, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? And then the minute you get married, when are you having children? When are you having children? You know, that that's kind of just this, this societal question, you know, that you're constantly faced with. And, uh, and I know a lot of people who don't, you know, who've chosen not to have kids, 
they still get that question. You know, they, they still have to contend with that daily, that pressure and to, to conform to those expectations. Yeah. Like I'm, I am partnered, but he is not the father of my daughter. And when we got married, there, there were probably years of people, to be honest, like we've had people take us to dinner to talk to us about the fact that we didn't plan to have any more children no, together. No, no. people tell me that Worst I dinner am, party ever. No, I have had people tell me that what I'm doing is so messed up because he doesn't know what he's missing, but I know what he's missing. So the fact that I am allowing him to think that he can be happy without having had children, <sighs> together it's like i am robbing him of what i have but he hasn't had the chance to experience i wish i was surprised by this <laughs> uh, i've had I, this lecture like <laughs> a number of times it's yeah it's terrible it's it's really really just awful the pressure that we put on women to become these roles and to to enact the to enact that this role that really is only going to burden the person that we're pressuring you know that it's it's entirely on mothers to raise these children uh, yes you know i don't I'm, I'm always thinking of the um the ali wong quote you know it takes so little to be considered a good dad and it takes so little to be to be considered a shitty mom like there's so little expectate expected of of fathers you know but uh, and all of this pressure on women to become mothers and then carry this load for decades uh it's yeah it's extraordinary for the rest of your life and like i i would say tell people you know <clears throat> i'm a working mom with a small child and two jobs why in the hell do you think that i can handle having another kid what <laughs> If I tell you, like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> what is missing from I my life? A, a squalling baby. I, human. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> like, I live in Los Angeles, one of the most expensive cities in the country. I have two jobs and a kid. I, I don't want a baby. Like, is it okay for me to just say that? I don't want any more babies to take care of. I'm all set on responsibilities. Hashtag no more babies. I like it. Yes, but I. I was wondering, did you could you get that pressure after your first was born? And did you feel sort of angry at how satisfied people probably were when you had your second? <laughs> you know, I I didn't. I I my my partner and I had this conversation like when we got together of like our number of kids, you know, like our the number that we were shooting for. And we I came from a family of four, he came from a family of three, and we were both like too many. And so we thought two, you know, let's do two, we'll have yeah. one and we'll have a spare in case something happens to the first one, then we've got an extra <laughs> laying around. You know, so we it just takes the pressure off raising that one, you know, so that we can just do it like an average job with both of them and one will probably Perfect. turn out one will turn out okay. Yeah. I um I was thinking about like just like different bad moms and good moms in yes. in a classic and and like it's so much easier to think of the bad moms isn't it because and they're also so fun to talk about there's so much fun to talk about yes but one of my favorite good moms uh, honestly I love this is kind of a throwback but did you watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer Joyce Summers only like a couple times not enough to really know the characters okay she was a fantastic mom and okay. just wonderful character I think um and what we don't, it was like so hard to search like through, you know, all the books, TV and movies, like to find a good example. <laughs> 
but yeah, bad moms are so much easier to, um, they're better characters, obviously in drama, in, in narratives, you need conflict. Otherwise there's no story. And so you have, you have to focus on, on the bad characters, the bad mothers. Otherwise they're, you know, a good mother is, is not even a character. She's just a prop, you know, for the, the protagonist. So what do you think, like, is, what could we do to be a good mom? Like, what is a good mom? What do you think society is demanding of us? Such a loaded question. Like, what is a good mom? What do they want? Because you can't be too controlling, but your kids can never be out of control. You can't be obsessively engaged, like dance mom level, but you can't be disconnected. So like, what do they want? Exactly. You, you can't, you can't love your kids too much. You can't love them, you know, not enough. You, 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 you it's bad if you pay too much attention to them. It's bad if you don't pay enough attention to them. If you're too strict, if you're not strict enough, if you do too much for them, that's terrible. If you don't do enough for them, that's worse. So there, there's, there's this nebulous middle ground that is nobody can define. And it's difficult. I mean, you think about like the primal role, you know, the primal role of motherhood was to raise kids to the point where they could start the cycle all over again and then you're done, you know? But it's like any other job description where at the end it's like other things as needed, you know? And it more and more and more just keeps getting added to the list of things you have to do to be a good mom. And it's individual to every child. You can't mother two children the same way. Otherwise, you're being a bad mom by expecting this child to be like that child. And you have to constantly change your style of communication and providing what, you know, this person needs. It's just a constant negotiation. So there, there's no good definition, I think, of what it is to be a good mom. And there's no comprehensive job description because it just, it, it keeps getting added to. You have to, like adapt your personality to these different social groups that you're around. And if you're a working mom, you have to have like a different work personality compared to a different, your kid's dance studio personality compared to like a sexy marriage personality compared to like your best friend personality. Like you're supposed to have all these sort of personalities in your portfolio that you could pull out in these different scenarios. And then there's like the strict mom and then the nice mom. And that you almost have to be like all these different people. Yes, you have to have multiple personalities and be able to produce any of them at the drop of a hat based on the environment and the situation that you're in. It's completely a job of camouflage and negotiation. And I agree completely um, that that's, that is the expectation, that we have to meet all needs at all times, and it, regardless of who we are and who we identify as. And I feel like this is kind of one of those key pieces that people who grew up, you know, with be, who grew up and are socialized as men, you know, they're not really taught the same camouflage skill, as you just said, you know, it's sort of like, who are you? And they have to cultivate like a persona that's like the right persona. But that persona, like as patriarchal and like messed up as it is for the person who has to create it is still only one thing they have to cultivate. Whereas for us, it's cultivating like a myriad things, you know, it's cultivating a hundred different personas. Right, exactly, right, right. Yeah, so being a good mom is like, I don't know, do you ever have moments where, I don't know, you're a writer, you work, you have a career, you're, you know, an intelligent woman, do you ever feel at odds with that role? 
and you don't have to answer that if that's uncomfortable, but I'm just curious because I definitely do. With that role as a mother, you mean? Yeah. Like, like, do you feel like it's hard to, to be that good mom with capital letters? I'm a solid C plus mom, I would say, you know, like in most areas and I'm pretty comfortable with that. I, you know, I know I'm not going to get it right. Uh, uh, probably 40% of the time. And I'm going to, you know, walk away from situations that I handled poorly and kick myself and, and then try again. And maybe I'll get it right, you know, once out of every three or four times. And so it's, it's definitely, I think you set yourself up, especially in your, your early years of motherhood, where you think that there's like something you can achieve. Right. And you're Especially that first year. Oh I mean, you're God! Like Sifting orga- <laughs> organic baby food that you like blended in your blender. No, yeah, all I wanted was to teach my children to sleep. That was it for the first year. I, me too, and not successfully. <laughs> but and, and but you still have this kind of higher standard for yourself. You think you're going to achieve something. And you have goals, you know, like you and I were both driven, you know, um, and ambitious people in our careers. And so you, you kind of apply that to your role as a mother too. Like, okay, I'm going to achieve something, but the, the, the bar just keeps getting lower and lower (laughs) for me. And so I, I no longer have this, you know, entertain any ideas of achieving anything other than, um, one line that, I, I took four strike me down. That is actually something that my mother has told me. She's a good mom, uh, but she she said a parent's job is to make themselves obsolete, and uh-huh. that Nora's mother tells this to her. Nora's mother is a horrible mother, and 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 really distorts and and mutates the intent of that line. But um, I think at its heart. It really does get to the role of any parent, you know, is, is to make your child self-sufficient, um, independent, capable, and confident um, in order to move out into the world and into their own sphere. And so that is really the only thing at this point that I kind of have in mind. I don't know what spheres they're going to be moving into. I don't know what their capabilities will be. Um, I'm just trying to get them to a point where I can become obsolete and they can succeed in whatever they want. And you know that they'll be able to like find water and forage food and obviously <laughs> this dystopian apocalypse that we're moving into. You know, like just setting themselves up for for success in any any possible future. You know what's funny about all this is that you know, being a mom is actually one of my favorite things about my life. Like my daughter is my favorite part of my life. Like she is amazing. I love all of our time together. I will drop anybody to spend time with her. She's truly my favorite person, you know? And like, I get so much joy out of having that with her. And at the same time, it's so it's like, that's not the problem. Like that is not my, it's not the problem for me. It's all the weird, like I walked into a gymnastics studio and I'm like, oh, I'm not ready for this. Yes. I don't, I don't know how to do this, whatever <laughs> this is that you're looking at me, hoping I'll do. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, exactly. It's the I mom just... culture that, <laughs> that's, that's harder than the actual parenting. And because and, it's it's instinctual, it's biological to, to love and, and take joy in your children, even when they're being monsters, you know, you still you still have that bond with them. And, you know, I love that that's, that's the, one of the best parts of your life. But yeah, exactly. Getting out into the world and 
and kind of setting yourself up at, in comparison to other other lives, other other ways of being a parent, that's where you get into the judgment. That's where you get into the the idea of a good mom versus bad mom. Mm -hmm. I, can I tell you one of my worst, the mothers that I hate the most? Tell me. Mama Bear from the Berenstein Bears. <laughs> I hate that bitch. She like, Okay, like polka dot duster and mumu aside, she like she's just emotionally dead. She has no reaction, and to to anything, she's just this perfect stereotypical mom. And like she's she's not allowed to mess up the way her kids and Papa Bear are. Like my my daughter loves these books. She loves the Berenstain Bears. This seems like this seems like something you've had to read aloud a lot of times. I've been exposed to it a lot. Yeah, and. <laughs> And well, she has this shower cap thing that she wears, right? Yeah, it's like a shower cap nightgown thing. What is that? Ensemble. Yeah, I know, I know. But I mean, fine. You, you, you like the moos? That's cool. You know, you do you. But I just am terrified that my daughter is absorbing this as the appropriate way to be a wife and mother. And you know, if if Mama Bear has a poor reaction or or doesn't say the exact right thing at the exact right time, the entire narrative structure of this book fails. You know, it's she's holding up the entire world because she's perfect, and I, I hate it. This lady has no fun. I swear, half of those—the only thing I remember about that character doing all the time is trying to get her kids to stop watching TV constantly, right? And do more chores, and and do more chores, <laughs> and it's like you know, being the nag and being the like the one in the house, the house frau, and all of that. It's just, <laughs> come on. Oh, you know who else writes the like the perfect no fun moms really well mm. is um, Celeste Ng. Um, oh yeah. Have you have you read like everything I never told you? Um, Marilyn Lee, the mom and Nat. Oh yeah. And then of course Elena Richardson in, in Little Fires Everywhere. They're of they're course. just wonderful examples of these mothers who are doing everything right according to society. Well, except the part where like Marilyn leaves her kids once, but whatever. The and but at the same time they're no fun at all. You know they 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 don't bend. They're rigid. So here's the interesting thing. If you follow all the rules and you do what you're supposed to do and you cultivate the good mom persona, guess what? You're People unlikable. People ridicule you. You're and, they, and you're a joke. You're completely you. completely unlikable. Yes. Mhm. Mm so even if you follow all the rules, there isn't like even if you do it, it doesn't work. Do you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah, there's there's no way to really succeed. Um, as as a good mom for everyone, you know, there you can't you can't succeed. Right. This is this is a cheerful uh, conclusion we've come to. So <laughs> it's really optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about some of our favorite villainous, terrible, um, bad mothers. Okay. I don't know if you saw American Beauty. We just talked about this the other day. Oh, yes. Back in the day, I did. Mm -hmm. Okay. The mom in American Beauty is an excellent bad mom. We love her. Have you seen, have you, do you remember her? Annette Benning, right? Yes. Yes. She's a hot mess. I loved her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was great. And, but she did try. I mean, didn't she, they like, 
I loved when they went to see the daughter in the cheerleading thing, and that's like when uh, Kevin Spacey first sees the other girl. But uh huh. Afterwards, she's like, "I was watching very closely, and you didn't screw up once." And she's like trying to be all positive and supportive, exactly. and saying the exact wrong thing. It's uh, it's it's so it's really charming how she's trying and trying just the wrong thing. Okay. Um, there was that mother, my mother's a serial killer movie. Do you remember this? I did not see that one. Okay. I'm looking it up right now because okay, it's called Serial Mom. It's from 1994. I remember running across it like when I was in college, someone had a DVD of it or something. And it's about a mom who just goes full serial killer in the suburbs. And it's truly amazing. It's just like, is campy. it like a, is it, yeah, kind of a, a campy. Yes. That sounds, I should watch it. It's Kathleen Turner. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> definitely watch it. Um, one of my favorite just horrible mothers, this is a really, really old movie. Did you ever see Now Voyager? It was, I don't think so. It's a 1940s black and white like melodrama starring Betty Davis. And it's one of my favorite like comfort movies. I watch it constantly. Really? It's just like mac and cheese for, you know, like in terms of, what you want but she's got this mother who is just extra she she's like the classic like old bitty domineering mother played by gladys cooper and she like keeps betty davis like under her thumb she decides what clothes she's gonna wear she like orders her servants to ransack her daughter's bedroom while she supervises Love and, like it. at one point she throws herself down the stairs and like breaks her own leg just to oh make betty davis feel bad that she didn't walk her down the stairs <gasps> it's she's phenomenal i <laughs> Every character in that movie is phenomenal. Like even Betty Davis at the end, she she's having an affair with a married man and she kind of steals his daughter and she's and like, I'll just pretend to be your wife this way. And but she's a great mom to this like stolen daughter. It's so good. I love it. Okay. Um, do you know I think this is maybe one of my favorite bad moms, just obviously, but like the mom from Beetlejuice. Yes. How she like gets, it's like there's this beautiful quaint suburban house and the nice couple who lives in there, who dies in there. And she comes in and she like rips it all out and turns it into this horrible like goth modern art museum. It's just awful. Yes. Yes. And she just like ridicules her family members and like dominates everybody around her at all times. But at the same time is living her best life. Like she's yes. reveling in this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I love her. She is fantastic. Yeah. You know, that, but the bad mom, it's interesting because we're both in the mystery thriller genre. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like the bad mom does get a lot of play in, in mystery and thriller crime fiction in general. Um, Laura Littman does a fabulous bad mother. Uh, but yes. uh, I feel like there's more traction for the bad mom archetype in horror. There, I mean, well, yeah, you think about, I mean, like Carrie, Psycho, like Rosemary's Baby. There, There's just like... The idea of a bad mother just causes such revulsion in us, you know, it, it, they, we have to other these people to the extent that they become monsters. And I feel like it's it's more suited to the horror genre almost. I think also like, at least in our mystery thriller, I mean, what you said is so true about horror and I think it's really interesting. And I wonder if part of us is that so many of our readers are women. So it's like women are interested in unpacking this and maybe willing to unpack this deeply or something? Yes, yes. 
I agree. I agree. We, we, we have such great women readers and who are so caught up in all of this societal pressure and judgment. And so they, they really identify and relate to all of the struggles of, of being a mom and just the things that it, it can lend you um, to do, you know, there's nothing more motivating, I think, for crime fiction than um, having your, your child in peril or, you know, that, that protection, um, that type of obsession that can come with, with taking that role. It's a, I just read um, an arc of a book uh, by, oh my gosh, I hope I didn't get the name wrong, Amber Garza, I believe. Um, oh yeah, she's actually my uh, my editor's sister. Is she really? Yeah. So When I Was You, I think is the name of the book. Yes, And it's, uh -huh. it kind of pairs two uh, bad moms, you know, in, against each other, but they're bad moms because of their obsession with the role. And it's, it's a really fabulous uh, study about motherhood. And I, I think it's going to be coming out this spring, fall? I don't know. Who knows about publication dates right now? But you're so right, because in horror, you have the unpacking of the terrifying bad mom, like the dangerous bad mom. And like, it's so scary to imagine a mom going bad to us. I mean, it's almost one of the worst things we can imagine in this world. It, it is, honestly. It's, it's, you don't even need that person to be a monster, you know, that they're just by being a bad mother, they've become the monster, you know, and we, we don't blame the monster as much as we blame the monster's mother. Wow. All right. Well, thank you so much. Like, that's such an interesting and like deep thought. I'm going to leave it at that. On that that's... note. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and doing this interview. I think that just your thoughts on this were so interesting and I, I honestly can't wait for people to hear this. So thank you. And everyone, I really recommend Strike Me Down. It's out now um, by Mindy Mejia. Well, thank you for having me. This is such a great podcast. I was so happy to be invited on. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening. <laughs>